Yeah, so as everyone's like, wow, they're so cool, I'm like, he's dead. to the podcast, The Book Isn't Necessarily Better, a library podcast presented by the Community Library Network in Northern Idaho. We are your podcast hosts, Roxanne and Michaela. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Amanda, our co-worker here at the Post Falls Library, but she's soon moving to a new role. What are you going to be doing, Amanda? Well, starting on July 5th, I will be working at the Hayden Library, and I will be the Youth Services Sub and Homeschool Programs and Services Support Person. That's great. Mm -hmm. We're going to be really sad to see you go, but you're going to be really great over there. I'm very excited. So tell us just real quickly a little bit about what you're going to do as the homeschool coordinator. Honestly, I don't know because it's a new position. (laughs) But what I'm hoping that I'll be able to do is help homeschooling families uh, find the resources that they want and need to homeschool successfully and also to provide opportunities to socialize here at the library and learn. So to supplement their homeschool education, I have a dream of someday like running a free range learning center, which it kind of the library already is. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I want to help people free range learn. Very cool. That's so great. We're really glad that you'll be starting that new position at the Community Library Network. So uh, if you're a homeschooler out there, make sure you you go and chat with Amanda. Come see me. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about a very famous novel called The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. We're going to start with a little bio about her. That's right. I said her. You're right. You may not know, uh, S.E. Hinton was born Susan Eloise Hinton in 1948 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She did not use her initials when writing, initially because get that initially, because um, she wrote this novel about teenage boys and her editor slash publisher, I can't remember which, said, I don't think that people will read this. I think you'll really put off your male audience if you have a female name on the cover of this book. So she used her initials instead, and she kept using that even afterwards when she published other things. Yeah, I believe the idea behind it was that girls will read boys novels, but boys will not read girls novels. Correct. She is credited with, by many, many people, if you Google what is the first YA novel, the outsiders will pop up. So she is kind of credited with introducing the YA genre, so-called, but I disagree with it being a genre. Why is that? Um, because it's it's a category. It's a category that's used by, by marketers and by libraries, in fact, to just kind of suggest who would be the most likely audience for a book. It is not a genre. And will you fight anyone who disagrees with we you? We can this? duke it out right now. No, I don't have any strong feelings about this. <laughs> on this like, one. <laughs> it would be like saying children's is a genre or adult is a genre. Exactly. And we don't call either of those genres. because So <laughs> there. So there, everyone. Your fun fact of the day. <laughs> Go impress your friends. Essie Hinton wrote The Outsiders while she was in high school. She was, I believe, 18 when it was published and 15, 16 when she wrote it. It's actually inspired by two rival gangs at her high school. She was a soch, 
which we'll talk a lot about oh, she later. was. Yeah. And she wrote a lot about the greasers. Um, she wanted to, to kind of empathize with the other kids at her high school who weren't really in her social group. And that is why she wrote The Outsiders. Another reason was also that she said she couldn't find anything in her library that was really speaking to her as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to introducing that YA <coughs> genre. She read a lot of adult novels that were written for adults, but talked about kids or a lot of novels that she thought could have translated, but weren't really written for her audience. And that is why she wrote about teenagers and why she is credited as that sort of inventor. The 1967 version of the book, Backflap, is... You know, it was written, it's a truly remarkable book about teenagers, for teenagers, by a teenager who understands what it's like. So they leaned really hard into that marketing. Hmm. Well, I know that it sold 14 million copies after it was published in 1967. And it made me wonder how a teenager was able to get a nationally published book. Mm -hmm. So when she finished the book, she did. She handed the manuscript to um, a friend's mom who worked in book agencies in New York. So that's how she got into the biz. She had a little help. Yeah. Kind of like a what Christopher Paolini. What happened there? His parents own a small bookshop. Who is he? The guy who wrote Aragon. What's Aragon? Oh, my God. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) It's... Girl, I don't know. Okay. It's an extremely famous book about a dragon. It can't be that famous because I haven't heard Uh, of it. I'm just saying it was like in the zeitgeist when you and I were kids. Like way in the zeitgeist. I don't know. Now I need to know if Amelia Atwater Rhodes also had parents who owned a bookstore. I don't know who that is either. Okay, I don't know who that is. Amelia Atwater Rhodes wrote her novels when she was a teenager. Uh, She wrote such titles as Hawk Song, Snake Charm, Wolf Cry, the first one that I ever read, Demon in My View, which is about vampires. So it sounds like she writes in the fantasy genre, correct? Why, yes. Oh, okay. Also probably be why I hadn't necessarily heard of her or this Aragon person. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to tell us a little bit about The Outsiders and why you chose it today and what happens in it? All right. So The Outsiders, I briefly described it to my children when I offered to read it to them as a story about youth engaged in corporate violence. And they said, no, thank you. But and by corporate, you don't mean target? No, I mean as a group. Group violence. Okay. But it's really about Pony Boy Curtis. He lives with his two brothers, Derry and Soda Pop. They, he lives with his brothers because his parents died. And they are greasers. And in this town where they live, greasers and the rich people, or soches, fight. At least the males of the species do. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of scenes where the Soches and the Greasers are engaged in violence with each other. They're they're getting jumped. They're going to have a rumble. But then there's moments where you see across the lines. And as Cherry mentions, who is a Soch? Things are rough all over. It reminds me a little bit, and in a much more violent way, obviously, of... Both Greece and West Side Story. Yes, I got some heavy mm-hmm. West Side Story vibes mm-hmm. reading it's, it. It's like if you mix the two together and <clears throat> subtracted all of the music. I think that's what this book is. Although it definitely had way more to do with class. Whereas I feel like West Side Story, there it's it's race. 
instead mm-hmm. of class. They're all from lower income. And then Greece, they don't really know, but there's a person named Sandy. So a little bit of crossover in both, right? Sandy? Who's Sandy? Again? Sandy is Soda Pop's girlfriend. Oh, right. Oh, right. That's right. So he got pregnant, or did he? Or did he? She's very off screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a Sandy in both. There's a there's a sort of Danny Zuko character mm-hmm. in both. So not really for the optics of it, but the fact that there's a gang of like greasers and they're trying to make friends with the Sochas, at least the females of the species. <laughs> right. And that sort of kicks off the whole trouble. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the trouble. Oh, the trouble. <laughs> so the trouble begins at the drive-in movie theater. As it does in Greece. Yes. Oh, another <laughs> connection. There we go. It does. Yes. So Ponyboy and Johnny, his friend, go to the movies with Dally. And Dally is the character who Ponyboy describes as someone who doesn't care about anybody or anything and gets into as much trouble as he can everywhere he can. And I can imagine probably has a lot of trauma behind of behind his behavior. Absolutely. So when the three greasers sit down behind two Soch girls, Dally harasses one particular girl up front named Cherry. And in this moment, Johnny tells Dally to back off, and amazingly, he does. Because it was Johnny, according to Ponyboy. Everything's according to Ponyboy. Johnny's sort of the sweet, sensitive one of the gang. He is the sweet, sensitive. I would say both Ponyboy and Johnny are sweet, sensitive. I'd say, like, Johnny's, like, the sweet, sensitive. Like, if everyone has their archetype, then Mm -hmm. Ponyboy is the... The brains. He's the reader. He likes to read. He's the, I was thinking he was also a stand-in for the reader, which is kind of true. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell us a little bit about the framing device used for this. The framing device is a school assignment. Mm-hmm. She don't find that out till the very end. Right. But Ponyboy is writing his memoir of this one week in his life as a paper for school. Awesome. And pretty much because he's flunking out. And it's his last chance. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Uh, but, I mean, he starts the book as a good student. Right. But he goes through trauma after trauma. And then his grades slip. Mm-hmm. And he's also dealing with a traumatic brain injury. Right. Which you can oh, see. Oh, good point. Yeah. At the very end of the book, you notice that he says, oh, it's hard for me to remember things. I keep leaving things like my shoes at school. And he trips on things. He trips on things. He has trouble concentrating. So he's actually having trouble at school, not because he's a greaser, but because he's been physically damaged. Interesting. See, I interpreted that as he has PTSD and sort of has like brain fog from it. But I think also brain injury makes more sense. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Hadn't thought of that. Where does he sustain said brain injury? At the Rumble. Yeah. See, and this is where it gets West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Very. But <laughs> they call it a rumble there, too. They do. I think. Yeah. Maybe we should back up a little bit to what Johnny and he did. After the drive-in movie issue happened, turns out that Cherry is dating a Soch, Bob. <laughs> Can I talk about Bob and Steve's what names about for a minute? Bob? Yeah, yeah okay. let's talk about it. So... I watched the trailer, the original official trailer for this movie mm-hmm. by Francis Coppola. And the trailer was hilarious because <laughs> it says Pony Boy, Soda Pop, Dally, 
Tubit, Bob, <laughs> Steve, and that was it. Oh no. It showed the characters <laughs> and said their names, and then it was like the outsiders coming soon. <laughs> Bob. So all we need to know is that these wow. boys have weird names, and these boys who look you know, preppy and nice. The squares. Yeah. The squares, they have normal names. Wow. Yeah, she describes them as the boys in the Madras shirts. In the Madras shirts. Right, yes. which are yes. basically those button-up shirts, right? Yeah. They're like Hawaiian, not Hawaiian not necessarily, Hawaiian, but like bowling shirts, really. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> Yeah, so Cherry, who was given a normal name, Sherry, at birth, but was given a nickname. So names play into this, the whether, how weird your name is, where you fall. Uh, Cherry is dating Bob, but does not want to be at the movies with Bob because Bob's been drinking. So then the greasers offer to take Cherry and her friend home, and the socias did not like that. So that sparks more violence between them. And then later, uh, Ponyboy actually goes home. They avoid violence at that time. But then Ponyboy goes home, has a fight with his older brother. His older brother hits him. Ponyboy runs away, finds Johnny at the park. And that's when the Soshas find the two sweet, sensitive greasers all by themselves. And they instigate violence and try to drown Pony Boy. And Johnny has been jumped before, so he's suffering from PTSD and he's abused at home as he carries a knife with him. He ends up stabbing Bob to death to save Pony Boy. I'd be a little more sad about it if you didn't just say stab Bob. I know, but it's just Bob. <laughs> Anyway, there's been violence on both sides. Kid is dead, unfortunately. Johnny and Pony Boy do what? They run away. I, well, the first they go find Dally. Oh, the troublemaker. Oh, great. That's what you want. Yes. <laughs> and he gives them 50 bucks and a gun and tells them to go to a certain town and hide in a church. You know, that's church. how my parents sent me off after I graduated high school. <laughs> <laughs> I turned out okay. So does Pony Boy. Theoretically. Oh, so I also, in preparation for this, so I read the book. I didn't watch the movie, but I watched some clips because uh, I saw the movie when I was a kid. And then I watched the Thug Notes YouTube video for The Outsiders. And what is Thug Notes? I had never heard about this. Oh, Thug, Thug Notes. Notes is amazing. So this gentleman, he breaks down books. First, he gives the plot, and then he gives the analysis. He animates it. So he uses tons of slang, which there's also a bunch of slang in Outsiders. So I uh, I love watching Thug Notes. Um, he Shout gives, out to Thug Notes. Yeah. yeah. Check it's my it new out. favorite thing. And he gives good analysis of the stories as well. So I watch that, understand more about the themes and central conflicts and things like that. Okay. And he has a book. Cool. Okay. We'll, so, we'll link to it. And yeah. if we don't have it, we'll order it. Yes. <laughs> Where was I before I went to Thug Notes? They were in the oh, church. Oh, they had to go to the church. So Johnny and Pony Boy go and hide in the church. They actually dye Pony Boy's hair and cut it. And they cut Johnny's hair, which is a big deal because for greasers, they are supposed to have long hair. That's something that identifies them as who they are. I thought there was an interesting discussion about hair in the book where he's saying, I don't want to cut my hair. You know, it's so important to him. And he says, you know, think about it. If we go to jail, they're going to cut your hair anyway, mm -hmm. because we don't have anything. That's the only thing they can take from you. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I'm going to make it my decision to 
cut off my hair rather than, you know, down the line, somebody else making that decision for me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then Pony Boy and Johnny spend a few days at the church because this whole book takes about a week. So they spend a few days there. And then Dally comes to visit them and they go to Dairy Queen. And as they're sitting there in the Dairy Queen with Dally, Dally's talking to them about, oh, your names are in the paper. Just keep laying low. Uh, Johnny suddenly decides, I'm going to turn myself in. To which Dally is like, what? But he allows him to do it. Mm -hmm. Because Dally will let Johnny get away with anything. So they decide to go back. But first they go back to the church to get their stuff, whatever they had left there. And when they get back to the church, it's on fire and there's a picnic. (laughs) And the people outside having the picnic scream that there's children inside the church. So Johnny and Pony Boy run into the church. They, They find the children and they get them out. And Dally helps the boys get out. But before Johnny can get out, a beam falls on him and he ends up breaking his back. And Dally also gets... Hurt. I would like to take a moment mm-hmm. to compare the book and the movie. Go for it. Because in the book, they do not say what race the children are. Right. But in the movie, it's very clear that there's almost an even split between white children and black children. Hmm. And there's a moment where they pan to a white little girl and I think a black boy hugging outside the church. Oh, hmm. And I noticed also in the beginning of Essie Hinton's work here, she made a really intentional distinction to say, you know, we're the Soches and we're the Greasers. We're not the Hoods. Right. And so Essie Hinton never mentions race in the book, but Francis Coppola wanted to bring race into it because he made it very clear, like, this is white children, black children. It's almost 50-50. I tried to count them. And I think that when she was saying, we're the socials and the greasers, we're not the hoods, we're not like, it's not that type of gang story. But I thought it was interesting that he made that purposeful choice at the fire scene. Interesting. And I think that's the only time in the movie that we see a black person. Mm-hmm. So it I'm felt like sure. it was very intentional. Yeah. So they survive the fire, they get to the hospital, and Pony Boy seems all right. Dally has to be in the hospital for a while, and Johnny is not doing well at all. Right. And then there's the rumble. And that has been planned while Johnny and Ponyboy have been in hiding. Because now that the violence between the socials and the greasers has caused a murder, now they want to settle the blood feud with uh, fisticuff fighting. No chains or knives, just fists. No chains, you guys. (laughs) They say that a few times. They're like, well, if it was chains or knives, it'd be different. But it's just fists. So it's okay. I think that's weird because every time I watch, a, I watch a lot of procedural shows. Okay. I'll just admit that right now. And they have what they call like an escalation of violence, right? So people usually start pretty low on the scale of violence and work their way up towards tougher and tougher things. And usually that like culminates in murder. That's kind of where all the shows have <laughs> that tapped out. So it's weird to me that these guys start at murder and end up at fist fighting. (laughs) That seems like backwards from the normal chain of violence. Right. And the murder, though, occurs as part of self-defense. Right. And it's done by the, the least violent of the gang. And the youngest. And the youngest. Well, actually, Pony Boy's the youngest. Pony Boy's the but I mean, like, you know, the two youngest. But the two youngest are mm-hmm. involved. But throughout S.E. Hinton's book, I feel like she keeps trying to say, don't worry, it's not that dangerous. Interesting. <laughs> okay, yeah. There's high stakes, but really it's not that bad. <laughs> then, uh-huh. 
Then Johnny dies. Oh. So I feel like she's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't. Johnny's dead. And then it wrenches you. Oh. As it does Dally. Mm-hmm. So the scene where Johnny dies right after that runs away out of the hospital. There's a great moment actually when they're coming to the hospital to visit Johnny and they look really messed up because they just came from the rumble. Uh, Pony Boy is suffering from that traumatic head injury. Because mm-hmm. he gets kicked in the head. He does. He gets kicked in the head. But then they win the rumble and the socias run off. And then they come to the hospital. The doctor at first doesn't want to let them in. And then Dally points a gun at him and says, we're coming in. <laughs> you're going to let us in. And the doc's like, I'll let you in. But because you're his friends, not because you have a gun in my face. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Of course, like, I'm doing this because I want to and not because you're making me. Right. (laughs) And I think it's at that point in the movie, they make it clear that Dally's gun isn't loaded because he clicks it and nothing happens. Right. But in the book, Pony Boy is just aware that it's not loaded. Mm -hmm. They go in and see Johnny and Johnny tells Pony Boy to stay gold. And then Dally leaves. And in the book, you don't see him again until there's a phone call at Pony Boy's house saying that he's on the run from the cops. And then you see the cops shoot him. And in the movie, I think it was done better. Okay. And why is that? Well, because in the movie, you don't get to see Dally's deterioration of his thoughts. Okay. Uh, in the book, he's angry, he's screaming, he runs out of the hospital, and you're like, well, this is probably not going to end well, but you don't see what happens to him. In the movie, Coppola shows him like looking at these magazines in the convenience store, and the guy who owns the place is watching him, and Dally's just looking at the magazines, and you can see on his face... Who was the actor who played... Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. Mm-hmm. Matt Dillon's whole forehead is just like wrinkled up and then it relaxes and then it wrinkles and it relaxes and it's just like you can see that his brain is moving back and forth so quickly that he can't hardly process it Mm -hmm. and then he like suddenly it's like he just goes I don't care and his whole face just kind of falls and he picks up the magazine and he rips it and the guy at the front instead of thinking wow this young man is definitely disturbed and having maybe a psychotic break right now Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And he looks like he's been punched in the face several times and he's having a complete meltdown. This is the moment where I'm going to say, you need to pay for that. (laughs) So no compassion. And then Dally robs him at gunpoint. But he doesn't seem to really be aware of what he's really doing. Sure. And then he runs out into the night. And I think it's interesting that in the book, they give foreshadowing saying like, oh, the reason that we keep our door unlocked is so that any boy can come and spend the night on the couch if they need to because... You never want anyone to get to a point where they'll be bottling up so many emotions that it'll come out in a robbing a gas station or something like that. Like right. they say, like blowing their top. Mm-hmm. They don't want to blow their top, and then they'll do something that they'll regret later. So Dally's finally blowing his top, and they all they all kind of do. I think the the ending kind of culminates in the three Curtis boys having sort of a fight over Pony Boy's uh, school and Soda Pop actually runs out on them and might be about to blow his top and they follow him out and he says, I don't want you to fight anymore. I just need us to be a family. And that's kind of where that book ends is the three of them deciding to be a family and mm-hmm. and not argue so much anymore. It's really interesting. She won, Essie Hinton won uh, a Margaret Edwards Award from the American Library Association 
four, all the first four books that she wrote. So this was the first and then three others. And the librarians who awarded her that uh, Margaret A. Edwards Award said that it's because she has the ability to simultaneously explore the adolescent need to like be independent, but also belong to a group and the need to like care for others, but also have them care for you. Hmm. And that is really, Mm -hmm. really apparent in the end of The Outsiders, both with the family and with the larger group of grazers. Right. Everything is us and them. Mm -hmm. It feels very high stakes all the time. Like everything is so charged with emotion. Just like being a teenager. Exactly. So I I feel like when I read it the first time, I was probably, I don't know, 22, 23. And I was like, oh my God, everything in this is so important. And rereading it a couple years ago, I was like, meh, these guys are blowing everything way out of proportion. They're obviously just like crazy teenagers with their crazy teenage hormones doing stupid teenager stuff. So I have a very different reading of it now as an adult than I did as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Same. I, re- I read it when I was Pony Boy's age. So mm. I would have been in eighth grade. And I remember thinking that Derry was so old. And then you watch the movie and Patrick Swayze <laughs> was 31 when mm-hmm. he played the character. Mm-hmm. But in the book, mm-hmm. the oldest brother is only 20 years old. Right. I can't imagine being 20 and having to care for <clears throat> two siblings because my parents died. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, d- I identify much more with Derry. <laughs> when yeah. I reread the book now than I did earlier. It's worth mentioning that it is part of a, a genre called Bildungsroman, which is fun to say, but it's basically just a, any coming of age story. And a lot of those stories feel like that, right? Where they have very high stakes and everything is emotionally uh, heightened. Whereas as an adult, I'm like, mm. <laughs> all this could have been avoided. We've talked about this before. All this could have been avoided with a little more communication. Yeah, absolutely. Done. <laughs> I think Roger Ebert has had a rule. It was something like the idiot rule, mm-hmm. where if everyone wasn't an idiot, it would be fine. <laughs> okay, and there'd yeah, be no is, plot. This is kind of like that. It's also worth mentioning. So Essie Hinton wrote this as a high schooler. It also kind of reads like a high schooler, like talking about their English class. She talks a lot about, well, Robert Frost, obviously. He has the the nothing gold can stay line. You want to tell us a little bit about that one? Sure. The poem forms an integral part of the story, but it's actually very short. Mm-hmm. Robert Frost wrote, nothing gold can stay. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. I feel like that's a great poem to pick Mm -hmm. for a young adult novel because it is short and fairly easy to analyze. And it's nice that Johnny actually does some analysis (laughs) in the book for us. Go Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. He does it in the movie too, and it cracks me up because Ralph Macchio... (laughs) plays Johnny in the movie. Who was the Karate Kid. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think this is right after the Karate Kid came out, I want to say. This is like maybe his next movie. It might be right before. It's roughly in the same time as the Karate Kid. And it's when Ralph Macchio was a good actor. (laughs) Is he not anymore? No. Have you watched Cobra Kai? Do I look like I watched Cobra Kai? My lord, it's bad. Um, I also don't watch it. My husband likes it a lot. Uh, but we both agree that Ralph Macchio is 
the pit. So I know, which is so unfortunate, but he has this really great, like he's overlaid on the screen. He's already dead mm-hmm. and he's overlaid on the screen, like basically doing poetry <coughs> analysis. It's like hitting boy. you over the mm-hmm. head. It mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so great. Kid was the next movie. Oh, okay. Came out oh. the next year. I mean, the whole movie is kind of a who's who of like, will be famous in two years. Other authors that they mention or that are kind of tangentially mentioned uh, include Salinger and Margaret Mitchell. Gone with the Wind is kind of a big thing in this book and Shirley Jackson and Carson McCullers. So it's very much a, it's written by teenagers for teenagers because it's, it's literally just a, I learned this in English class and <laughs> here's me telling you about it later. So going back, we, we do want to talk about the movie because it is definitely a who's who of the eighties scene. So Roxanne, Tell us who's in it. Right. So the movie has all of the heartthrobs from the 1980s, the male heartthrobs, and Diane Lane, who is uh, beautiful in this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I actually, I'm going to make hair dye today. I think I just need to bring a picture of her hair color to the dresser <laughs> and be like, do this, please. So we have Patrick Swayze. We have Tom Cruise, Emilio Estevez, Ralph Macchio, Matt Dillon, and Rob Lowe. And they are the greasers. You didn't mention... Pony boy. Who Pony is boy who doesn't really go on to. See Thomas Howell. It, uh, he, let me rephrase it. He was wonderful, and unfortunately, he was the only one who didn't go on to become an A-list celebrity. He's Listen, still working, though. Thank you. He's in tons of stuff. Cool. What is he in? I don't know. Um, he was in The Walking Dead. Yeah. Oh, as okay. a hilltop resident. <laughs> nice. And Criminal Minds, yes. which okay. is one as of my- As the Reaper. As the Reaper. So there. The Reaper. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I just wanted to shout out to yeah. see Thomas Howell. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd be remiss if we didn't. So this was a lot of their first movies. This came out in 1983. It's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And the reason it was made into a movie is because a librarian, <laughs> a school librarian had her seventh and eighth graders create a petition to Francis Ford Coppola to adapt the novel into a movie. Mm-hmm. And when you watch the movie, it is dedicated to those kiddos. Now, when you watched the movie, did you watch the original cut or the complete novel cut? I watched the complete novel cut because a YouTuber told me so. Oh, I didn't realize there were two different cuts. So I accidentally watched the complete novel. and I Which is better. That's which is better. One. And I had done the research before that was like, oh, the movie isn't super faithful to the book. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's the book exactly. It's because they added in a lot of the things that make it exactly like the book later. Yeah. And they also changed the music for the second cut. In the <laughs> yeah. first one, they had composer do it, who was Francis Ford Coppola's father. And for the second cut, the director's cut, they actually have... It's like, timely. It's like the 60s. Yeah, correct music for the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a really, really, really terrible Stevie Wonder. Is it Stevie Wonder who does the... Yes, he does the song? Stevie Wonder. Ugh. I like it. Oh my God, no. Lay off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so bad. Um, and but it's it's like it's like just enjoy it for what it is. And it's TV Wonder. Listen, I'm really glad that the trend of like writing music specifically for a movie and make I love the one in The Princess Bride. We've talked about this before, but many other movies make very very terrible songs to sum up the movie at the beginning and the end. This one is bad. Um, it's it's like, like wash over you. <laughs> I did. Just give into it. I didn't enjoy it. (laughs) I just want to say something real quickly 
about Matt Dillon in this movie because we've talked about his facial acting. Oh, yeah. The only thing I could think of during the entire movie was was that Matt Dillon was simultaneously trying to be Keanu Reeves and Robert De Niro at the same time. Like he's trying so hard to be like this gritty gangster guy with this like deep voice, but he's also trying to be this laid back cool guy like Keanu Reeves in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> and it's weird. It's hammy as all get out. I think it works, though. Do you? I do. Mm. Because Dally's character is supposed to be somebody who's, like, almost soulless. Ponyboy describes him as somebody who just does not care at all. So laid back, cool, almost no expression. But really, underneath, he is someone who cares. And so he lets it out at certain times. Okay, so you're giving him, like, the he's so method- I'm going to say he did it intentionally. Okay, okay. Good job, Matt Dillon. <laughs> and I I don't know. For me, that's really distracting. Eh, I guess I'm with Amanda on this one. Oh, man. Okay. So this was one of their first movies. I just want to talk about Tom Cruise for a second. This was, <laughs> this was his second or third movie. Who did Tom Cruise play in the movie? He's Steve. Oh. <laughs> so he's one of the lesser greasers. Yeah. Steve's like there. And then uh, you know how Tom Cruise is famous now for doing his own stunts? Mm-hmm. Well, in the beginning, you know, he just randomly does a backflip off of a car. Mm-hmm. And he actually says like, hey, look at this. So he did practice and did that. And I love that that does relate <laughs> to the book because apparently all the greasers know acrobatics. Oh, yeah. Because Derry took an acrobat class once <laughs> and so they made a lot of like and then I did a backflip flip off the porch and then he knew that something was wrong because they didn't do a backflip off the porch mm-hmm. listen it was parkour before parkour was a parkour yeah. parkour <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's fun. He does it again. Yeah, later. But I cracked up the first time he does it because literally like the scene is over. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, guys, check this out and does his backflip. And I'm like, that should have ended 10 <laughs> seconds ago. I guess yeah. it's not really that long, but I'm like, it doesn't fit. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense that he's doing it. <laughs> yeah. But Tom Cruise is like, I practice this. God darn it. And I'm going to do it for the camera. I'll show you all someday. Right. I'll be in Mission Impossible. (laughs) And then the subsequent Missions Impossible. (laughs) Yeah. The Impossible Missions. (laughs) All of them. So apparently when they were filming this... In order to create more of a realistic tension between the greasers and the socias, the actors who played the socias and the actors who played the greasers were separated. Oh, like a social experiment. Really? This is like that prison, the Stanford prison experiment. Yes. So they they were like in a 16-story hotel. So all the greasers stayed on the fourth floor. All the socias got to be on the higher floors. In the penthouse. Yes. That's so lame. They were given, <laughs> no, the, the socials were given better rooms, more spending money, free room service. And while the greasers got their scripts like in Trapper Keepers, the <laughs> socials got theirs in leather bound volumes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's all like, that's so method. It's not even funny. So this is all Francis Ford Coppola is doing. Yeah. Like he decided all mm-hmm. this. Man, that guy is, that seems really mean. 
Well, apparently it worked. He also made Tom Cruise and Matt Dillon go stay with a family on the other side of the tracks in Tulsa. <laughs> Even though the book doesn't say this all takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right. where S.E. Hinton is from. So they also mm-hmm. filmed it in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had them go stay with like a lower income family from the so-called wrong side of the track. And they're like, we don't know who these people are. They Did they even vet them? They had to like sleep in a basement on cots. Hmm. And apparently he wanted them also to like spend a night in jail. And Matt Dillon was like, you spend a night in jail. (laughs) (laughs) No. So that's an interesting thing. The house that they that they filmed this in, the main house where the Curtis boys live, is now called the Outsiders House Museum. It was bought several years ago by this guy who's in a hip hop group called the House of Pain. His name is Danny Boy O'Connor. Which is such a perfect name for someone who owns the house of Ponyboy Curtis. It really is. It really is. He bought this several years ago and started turning it into a museum. So he's gotten like Francis Ford Coppola's director's chair, I think, is in there. They've got like a collection of switchblades. Who doesn't that? (laughs) Exactly. And other like set pieces that people have donated or period appropriate pieces. And I don't know if this ever did open to the public. It was supposed to open in 2019. And I, I don't know that it did, but someday you will be able to visit Tulsa and go to the Curtis house. Cool. Yeah. Let's go to Tulsa. Road trip. <laughs> Road trip. Uh, did you guys clock S.E. Hinton's cameo in the movie? I read about it later. I missed it. She played the nurse who is trying to help Dally, so Matt Dillon. And she's like, you need to put your robe on because he's in his tidy whities right. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he gives her a hard time. And then she huffs off. Right. That she should. <laughs> Don't put up with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Four of her, actually all four of those early novels that she won the award for. And what are those novels? They are The Outsiders, Rumblefish, Tex, and that was then This Is Now, all became movies in the 80s or maybe early 90s. And Matt Dillon is in three of them, but not the last one. (laughs) Well, because they decided they would make Rumblefish at the same time they were making, or basically right after they'd make Rumblefish after The Outsiders. That's why a lot of the cast is in it. It's also filmed in Tulsa. He just thought it would be easier to sort of keep everyone down there. (laughs) Okay. Diane Lane is in... Diane Lane is in Rumblefish. There was one more adaptation I I learned about. Did you guys hear about the 1990 adaptation? I heard about it. I heard it was bad. So Fox made a 13 episode and then it got canceled. A show of The Outsiders. Mm Mm-hmm. But what I really love is that the premiere was introduced by Bart Simpson. What? Because he's a youth. Excuse me? (laughs) Uh Well, it's funny. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I did know that in 2006, this video game called Bully came out, and it's roughly based on The Outsiders. There's two groups of kids, the Greasers and the Preps. Mm-hmm. So basically The Outsiders. And one of the fight phrases when you like start fights is, heads up, pony boy. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. Do you guys know about the song Hit or Miss by Newfound Glory that uses the part from the movie where Johnny is talking about nothing gold can stay? No. Tell me about it. Okay. The song is Hit or Miss or Waited Too Long. It's by Newfound Glory. So it came out when I was a teen, Mm. 15 years ago, and I enjoyed it greatly. It's still one of my favorite bands. But in the beginning of the song, they sampled from the movie Ralph Macchio. Oh. Telling Ponyboy that nothing gold can stay. 
So he's got like lyrics credit. Yeah, he's oh. in the song on the uh, album. Wow. I have to say the the phrase "stay gold." It it does get me. I get verklempt. <laughs> it's cute. I even is- actually have a necklace that says "stay gold" that I got from the oh. librarian store out of print. Oh, that's cute. And I also love out of print. And so do you. So do yeah. I. <laughs> did you guys have to read this for high school? Just curious. I did. And one thing that I kept asking myself when I was rereading it now was, why was this assigned to me in school? I had to read it and I was like, I love this. I'm glad it was assigned to me. Oh, I loved it. Oh, interesting. Uh, I remember our teacher saying, do not read ahead. She said to the whole class. <laughs> I read ahead. Well, of course. I don't know if it was reverse psychology <laughs> or whatever, but I finished it well before we were done reading it in class. Big mistake. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as everyone's like, wow, they're so cool. I'm like, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not have to read this for high school, which I find very surprising because everyone else I know has read it except the people I went to school with. Obviously, everyone I know from after school has had to read it for some reason. And it is one of the ALA's uh, frequently banned or challenged books. So it's been banned or challenged in a lot of places for gang violence, underage smoking and drinking, some strong language slash slang. I'm like, why do you ban something for slang? That's the dumbest. I can't even imagine. It Only also, squares try to ban yeah, exactly. books, though, so. And for family dysfunction. According to Thug Notes, the thing that really upset people was talking about the differences between the social classes. Oh, that that was his take on we it. We can't I talk about that. Um, but despite all that, it is also a frequent flyer on high school and even middle school reading lists. Mm-hmm. But I would also suggest reading it again as an adult, seeing how it's changed since maybe the first time you've read it, because it has for me a lot. All right. We got to wrap up? Yes. You can find everything that we've been talking about at the Community Library Network. Absolutely. And if we don't have something, we can order it for you. So thanks for tuning in today, everyone. We have been Amanda and Roxanne and Michaela for the Community Library Network Outsiders episode. We're encouraging you all to stay gold. No, I will not say Diane Lane is in Rumblefish. I'm editing this episode. (laughs) I'm the captain now. (laughs) I had nothing for breakfast this morning um, because I was busy doing my notes and going down a rabbit hole about Roblo. You're a robot. That's all I can say. (laughs) Okay. We're obviously going to say stay gold at the end of this, right?